Well, it is uh, certainly a pleasure to be with you this morning. Uh, it's good to be back. I got COVID, y'all. Late to the party, like I always am. I thought it was over. Wash your hands. That's the, that's the message for this morning. Uh, so thankful that you're here with us. Uh, thankful to uh, be uh, in this new series. We are discussing questions that God asks. So we're looking at different uh, encounters that God had with his people uh, throughout the Old Testament where he visited them uh, on earth and asked them different questions. Uh, typically this came at a time uh, when those who were receiving the questions were in uh, chaos or turmoil. Uh, and it is a, a wonderful picture into the heart of God that he is uh, one who draws us out uh, by simply doing something as almost trivial or mundane as just asking a couple good questions. And so uh, this morning we're going to be in Genesis chapter 16. Uh, it's the story of Sarah and Hagar. And um, it's, a, it's a weird story. It's a super sad story. Uh, but it is a beautiful story that uh, God has put into Scripture for us to know. So uh, if you have a copy of the Scriptures this morning, we'll be in Genesis 16. And let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. We're going to do the entire chapter. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar, and Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, and it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And so Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan. Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. When she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And the angel said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Then the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. And you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called something, and it lies between Kadesh and Barad. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Let's pray together. Father God, you are a God of seeing. Uh, as, as Hagar says here, uh, you see us. Uh, and Lord, that's terrifying. Uh, it's terrifying because we know what we've done. We know our hearts, uh, we know the fights we had on the way here, we know the fights that are going on, even with you, uh, as we kick against your plan for us. Uh, and yet, 
because you see us, uh, there's a great comfort in knowing that you see us, uh, that you have not forgotten us and that you've not left us. So as we dive into what you have for us this morning, uh, would you calm our hearts? Uh, would you move us uh, closer to the throne? Uh, Holy Spirit, would you invade us? Uh, would you bring us uh, the conviction necessary to see Jesus as the one who uh, loves us, the great lover of our souls, in whose name we do pray. Amen. Uh, it was a day that uh, I had longed for for a while. Uh, I had started dating uh, my now wife, Mackenzie, and uh, it was time to you know, pull the trigger on getting married. And uh, so I had to do that. I don't know if it's like a southern tradition or just a normal tradition, but you like take her dad out to dinner and ask him uh, for his blessing. And so uh, I had uh, called her dad. His name's Don. I called Don. I was like, hey, Don, let's go. Uh, I'd love to get dinner with you because I have some things I want to talk about. You know, super vague. Has some things I want to talk about, Don. We've never done this before. Uh, but, Don, you're going to be so surprised when we get there. Um, and I spent the whole day, like, just building my confidence. Like, I went and worked out. And I was like, this is going to be, like, I want, uh, yeah, I want a little pump in my bicep. Just enough to intimidate him, not enough to, like, scare him. Um, and I, like, brushed my hair. I got a haircut. Like, I, I did all the things that were necessary. And uh, called Don up and said, hey, man, let's meet there uh, at the restaurant. We went to the restaurant. Um, and I just dazzled him with my plans for Mackenzie and I, uh, and how much I loved her, how he'd done such a great job raising her, and he had, uh, he had shared a lot of his story with me that I didn't know, I shared a lot of my story with him that he was, uh, unaware of, uh, it was wonderful, the drinks were flowing, apps and zerts all over the place, and we were, like, just ki killing it, I was like, Daryl, you are crushing this, uh, the server brings the check, I was like, I got it, Don, don't worry about that. Uh, my modest youth pastor salary could afford this. And so uh, I took the check and reached for my wallet, and I didn't have it. Um, and I was like, oh, I think it's in the truck. It, it, no, it was in my gym bag. I knew exactly where it was. It was at the house. Um, but I was like, hey, I think it's in my truck. I'm going to run out real quick and see if it's in there. Uh, and then I was like, it's not in here. And I texted him from my truck, and I was like, can't find my wallet, but I think I have some cash in here. No. Like, I haven't had cash in 20 years. I was just out, I was out here, and I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I did this great thing. I just told him how uh, I'm responsible fiscally uh, and how I don't forget things and how uh, just, you know, how mature I am and things like that. Uh, and I walked back in. I was like, hey, Don, uh, I don't have my wallet, man. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for meeting me. Do you mind covering this? Uh, I'll, get you, I'll get you back at Christmas. Um, he, was, he was totally fine with it. He thought it was funny. Uh, and I, as I was driving home, I was just thinking, like, how interesting that our plans uh, almost always go that way. Uh, the best laid plans of mice and men most often go awry, and that is exactly what had happened. Uh, when we look at this passage, uh, Sarah has a plan that she, think is going, that she thinks is going to work. Um, her and Abram... Uh, our, I'll probably say Sarah and Abraham just on accident, but that's who it is. Spoiler, in a couple chapters, they changed their names. Um, Sarah and Abraham, arguably two of the most important folks in, in the, the kingdom of God as, as, as in terms of historical significance. Uh, Abram, the father of a lot of different religions, uh, and they are uh, scheming this plan of their own, devising this plan uh, because Sarah, is, she just wants to have a kid. And God had promised her, hey, you guys are going to have kids. They're going to have a lot of them. There's going to be more than you can count. 
uh, so many descendants, and it hadn't happened yet, and she had gotten impatient. And uh, Abram, who is the patriarch, is uh, one who failed to trust that God had planned for them. The matriarch, Sarah, who allowed her impatience to overtake her. Uh, and then we have the victim, as this girl, Sarah, or sorry, Hagar, who is uh, a teenage slave girl from Egypt, uh, who is going to become sexual collateral uh, for Abraham and Sarah in this diabolical scheme to circumvent God's plan. Uh, Hagar is broken after this. And yet, God pursues her with two of the most insightful questions that anyone can ask. Where are you coming from? Hagar, where are you running from? And where are you going? What are you running to? This morning, where are you running from? And where are you running to? God woos her. He's wooing Hagar here because God sees that she's brokenhearted. And because God sees the brokenhearted, uh, we, uh, his people, believers, can trust that he will always run after us, even if we're running away. So there's going to be three things we'll see in this passage. We have a woman ill at ease, a girl who flees, and a God who sees. So let's dive into the question-asking heart of God and see what he has for us this morning. Uh, first point, a woman ill at ease. Sarah, in verses 1 through 6 here, uh, Moses, who's writing this book, uh, recounts for us uh, who Sarah is. And he starts out this chapter with her greatest insecurity. Uh, imagine a book being written about you. Uh, and the very first sentence is, this is Daryl. He avoids intimacy with humor. Here's Sarah. She can't have a kid. The very first verse, now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had borne him no children. A statement so simple, yet so loaded, especially in this context, Sarah is barren at a time when you didn't want to be barren. Uh, Sarah is barren, and to be barren in this time was seen as lesser. Uh, it was the defining characteristic of her life. It wasn't that she was, like, good at Monopoly or an okay wife or, like, could make biscuits and gravy. Sarah was barren, and that's who she was. She couldn't have kids. Uh, her womb was closed. And she was probably 65 or so at, at the time of this story, so menopause had likely come and gone, uh, which meant that when Abraham died, Sarah was going to be alone. She wasn't going to have a husband. She wasn't going to have provisions. She wasn't going to have children that could take care of her. Uh, kids signified worth. Kids signified blessing. But she didn't have any of it. Which means that Sarah was going to be worthless, and she was going to be damned. But Sarah had been given a promise by God. God visited Abraham uh, in just a couple chapters before this to tell Abraham, hey Abraham, you're going to have so many descendants that they're going to outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. Look at the sky, Abraham. Look at the stars. Consider the stars. You're going to have more kids than there are stars in the sky. And ten years had gone by and there was nothing. Nothing. They tried if you've ever been in the fight for infertility, you know this feeling. It's hell. It's awful. For 10 years, she tried and tried and tried and nothing. And so Sarah does what we all do. Uh, Sarah took matters into her own hands. She's tired of waiting. If you look at verse 2, she blames God. 
And then she goes all in on this plan to bring a kid into the world. Look at verse 2. God has prevented me from bearing a child. God, this is your fault. And now I'm going to do what I have to do. Elliot just talked about this in Genesis 3 last week. She decided, I'm just going to do what I think I need to do, and I'm going to go for it. And God, it's your fault. This is what Adam says. That woman, God, that you gave me, she gave me that fruit, and I ate it. God, it's your fault. That's what Sarah's saying. God, you've prevented me from bearing a child. So Abraham, here's our little slave girl, Hagar. I want you to go sleep with her and bring a kid into this world. God, this is your fault. You can't do this. I'm going to do it myself. Abraham, here's the slave girl. Go and sleep with her. Can you hear, can you hear what's going on in her heart? Because it's what's going on in our heart. That when God doesn't come through the way that we want him to, we can make a bunch of different compromises that are going to go really poorly. God, it doesn't matter that this guy I'm dating is not a Christian. Like, he'll come around. Like, he's really nice. God, what does it matter? What does it matter if I just cheat a little bit on my taxes? What does it matter? God, you've been holding out on me. It's been so long. It's so obnoxious waiting. Why do I still have this terrible boss? Why am I stuck in this dead-end job? You can't swing a stick in this room, and you can't swing a stick in your own heart without hitting that excuse, without hitting that, that question, that feeling, because we're all so bad at waiting, and we're bad at trusting. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, and it stretched even to Abraham and Sarah. And Sarah tells Abram, hey, Hagar is young. She can bear you a kid, so why don't you take her as a wife? And then you sleep together, and then she'll get pregnant, and then we'll have a kid, and then everything will be fine. And then we can move on. We don't have to wait on God anymore. God's forgotten us. So let's just do this ourselves." And Abraham stops her and says, Sarah, I don't think that's a good idea. Just kidding. Abraham doesn't do anything. He just stands there. He's like, sure. Oh, you want me to sleep with somebody else? I guess I could take one for the team. (laughs) Abraham goes along with it. Moses, the writer, gives no evidence that he even puts up a fight. Abraham was the one who heard from God. Abraham was the one who heard this promise directly from the mouth of God. Can you see how Abraham's just like Adam? Straight from the horse's mouth. God's not a horse. Straight from God's mouth. Is this promise given to Abraham, all these things are going to come true for you. Go share this with everybody that you're around. And Abraham doesn't do it. He's quiet. In just one chapter before, in Genesis 15, Abraham enters into the covenant with God. That God would keep his promises. Look at the stars, Abraham. You're going to have more kids than you can count. And Abraham is quiet. And he goes in and he sleeps with Hagar. He was given this word to share with Sarah. And much like the silence of Adam, the silence of Abraham here is deafening. This passive attitude that he had toward this awful plan. And yet, we read in this story and even judge Abraham for his actions knowing that we do this all the time. Uh, Knowing that we know what the word of God says. Knowing what the word of God promises us. Knowing that Jeremiah 29, 11 is true and all these verses about plans and things that God has for us and blah, blah, blah. I hear all that still. I think I have a better plan. Even when it comes from the mouth of God himself, it's not good enough. For Abraham and Sarah, it wasn't good enough. 
The plan's in place. The deed has been done. And now we see how it unfolds. That Sarah's plan actually works. Uh, Hagar gets pregnant. Hagar gets pregnant, and then Sarah gets pissed. God, she's pregnant now, and she's flaunting it in my face. She threw her baby bump up on Instagram, and her and, a- and, her and old Abe are talking about going to Gatlinburg for their baby moon. God, I'm so mad. Abraham, why did you do this? What's the matter with you? Why does your seed work? I'm so mad at you. Sarah gets so upset that her plan works. It's the old Chinese curse slash blessing in action that may you get what you want and may you want what you get. Sarah got exactly what she wanted, and now she's furious. She's mad at Hagar because she thinks Hagar's flaunting her, her pregnancy. She's mad at Abraham for, uh, for impregnating her. She's mad at everyone. She's mad at God. She's mad at everybody but herself. She's not mad at herself. Sure, it was my plan, but Abraham, it's your fault. Hagar, it's your fault. God, it's your fault. And then Abraham comes in, like Abraham does, and he calms her down with loving words, saying, hey, it's okay. Just kidding, he doesn't do that. He tells Sarah, hey, Hagar's your slave. Do whatever you want with her. Do whatever you want with her. Uh, He's passive again. And then the writer, Moses, here says that Sarah browbeats Hagar. She treats her with such contempt, with such oppression. It's the Hebrew word anah, which is the same word that will be used uh, during the Exodus to describe how the slaves were treated in in Egypt. Uh, That there was a lot of oppression, there was possibly abuse, a lot of contempt, a lot of rage. And a pregnant teenage slave girl who had no choice in the matter is experiencing all these with no evidence that she had any ability to say no in the first place. Hagar is feeling all these things. Sarah is so ill at ease with herself and with God that she just takes it out on Hagar, and Hagar is so beaten down that she runs away. She takes a risk that it's better to just go out into the desert as a pregnant girl. I'll figure it out. It's going to be better out there than to stay here with Sarah. Because Sarah, instead of allowing her shame that she felt to lead her to God, uh, to lean into that shame and allowing it to humbly lead her to God, She instead took that shame out and it became toxic and became contempt. And she poured it all on Hagar. And Hagar did what we'd all do. Hagar left. She left. So there's Sarah and there's Abraham. And now there's this pregnant teenage girl, Hagar, who's off into the wilderness. Which brings us to our second point, a God who flees. Verses 7 through 12 give us a look into the dealing that Hagar has with an angel of the Lord. Uh, Hagar, who's essentially a sex slave, uh, has fled, and she's found by God next to a spring of water. And we think, oh, that probably sounds refreshing. At least she found a spring. This wouldn't be like Cheekwood. She's out in the middle of the desert at the only source of water, which is where people get assaulted all the time. Uh, Folks will hide. uh, They'll attack folks who are coming to get water. And that's where Hagar is. She's in an incredibly dangerous place no place for a single mom to be and yet here she is uh most commentators believe that she was trying to find her way back to egypt uh the town of shur is kind of the northernmost border uh and so they believe that she was trying to go back home and it is here that god finds her it's here that god finds her and he asks her some questions 
where are you coming from and where are you going? Remember when God showed up to Adam and Eve, he asked, where are you? Who told you that you're naked? This is again God wooing Hagar into the story. He's not surprised, right? He's not confused. Hey, Hagar, where are you going? I don't know anything. Um, he knows where she was going. He knows where she was running from. And so he goes in to talk to her, to speak kind words to her. Where are you running from, Hagar? What are you running from? And where do you hope to go? You're here. You're by a spring. You're by yourself. You're pregnant. You're broke. You don't have a husband. Where are you hoping to go? There's only one place that she can be safe, right? It's in the arms of God. God knows that. He's bringing her in. Where do you hope to go? Midtown 12 South this morning, where are you coming from? And where are you going? Where are you running from? Where do you hope to end up? It's a set of questions that the Lord is asking us this morning. Where are you running from? What are you running to? What are those things in this world and within yourselves that are assaulting you to the point that you're like, God, I'm out. I can't do it anymore. I'm so lonely. I can't do this anymore. God, I'm tired of being broke. I can't do this anymore. He told me I'd come here and be a musician. Now I'm working in healthcare. God, what are you doing? I can't do this anymore. To who are we looking to compensate for what we're not? All these are questions that God in his kindness is asking. If you consider what the psalmist wrote, David wrote in Psalm 139, and what Hagar and ultimately ourselves will find to be true, here's what he writes in Psalm 139, verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? And where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the grave, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning, dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light be about me, then the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Jesus, Father God, the Trinity, they know exactly where Hagar was going. Because they were there at the spring before she even got there. She was running away, thinking she's running away from this evil man, Abraham, and his crazy wife, Sarah. Thinking, they, they worship this God, I'm out of here. And yet God is there waiting for her when she gets to the spring. And now Hagar tells the Lord, I'm running from Sarah. I'd rather be pregnant and sick and bloated and hungry and exhausted than to face that witch. I'm not going back there. She's crazy. And the angel of the Lord does something a tad unexpected here. He tells Hagar, hey, I want you to go back. I want you to go back and I want you to submit to Sarah and to Abraham. Which makes me furious when I read this, right? But I do believe we have to pause for a second. God is not condoning abuse. God doesn't condone abuse. If you're in a relationship where you're being abused, you, you get out. Come find us, we'll help you. I'm big. Like, I'll figure it out. You got to get out. God's not condoning abuse here for Hagar. What the angel of the Lord is saying is that there is blessing that's attached to Abraham. And there's a blessing for you because you're attached to him. You're married to him. He's your husband. And so there's going to be a blessing that's coming to him that's going to drip down and get all over you. So, Hagar, I want you to go back. Go back and let's work on these issues together. 
Because sometimes, not always, but sometimes, uh, God calls us into the chaos of life because there's something great there for us. Sometimes it's right to leave. Sometimes it's right to leave that job. Sometimes it's right to leave that boss. Sometimes it's right to break up with that boy or that girl. Uh, But there are times when God will call us to stay because God has a plan for us in that. It's like the old uh, children's book. uh, I think it's a song too, but we're going on a bear hunt. And you get to the river and you can't go over it, you can't go under it, you got to go through it. That's God's plan a lot of the time. Can't go over it, we can't go under it, we're going to have to go through it. We're going to have to go through it knowing that God is going to be there with me. We turn and we face the chaos equipped with the power of the Holy Spirit knowing that he will not allow our feet to slip and he won't allow us to fall. So this morning when you think of where you're running from or you think of where you're running to, Is it possible that in that frustration, God is calling you to stick it out? Is it possible that he's calling you to stick it out? God, this marriage is hard. But could God be calling you to stick it out? I'm at Midtown 12 South. They don't have a lot going on. Covenant sure looks good over there up on top of the hill. I'm dealing with some things with Covenant. Um, (laughs) Actually, I know why I use them, because I'm a sinner. Um, Could it be that God is saying, stay? Stay in community with your church. Stay in your marriage. Stay in your family. Stay there. Fight. See what I have for you. It may not be all that you wanted, but God is going to say, I have something in there for you. The angel of the Lord looks at Hagar, and he's not abandoning her by telling her to go back. He's reinforcing to her that his presence will be with her and then he gives her a blessing he says you're you're carrying a son you're going to call him ishmael uh we're going to bless the world through you hagar you're going to have so many descendants uh, and i'll take this whacked out plan that sarah had uh and we're going to turn it to blessing for you this is what god always does right think of the master plan of hell that satan had if i can just kill jesus get rid of his followers uh, then we, we can kind of cut the head off the snake and then Christianity will just go away. And Jesus says, I'm going to walk right through death and I'm going to prove you wrong. The Egyptian slave girl, Sarah, who was blind to the plans and the promises of God was now seen by the God who never fails to keep his promises. This brings us to our last point, the God who sees. If we look at verses 13 to the end of the chapter, uh, they give us Hagar's response to the Lord, and she responds, You are ill, Roi. I want to say Elroy, but it's because I'm from Appalachia. Uh, you are ill, Roi, the God who sees. For here I have seen him who looks after me. Hagar has seen God, but Hagar also sees that God has been seeing her all along. She has seen that God has a place in his heart for the brokenhearted, for the young, for the oppressed, for the foreigner. And he isn't just the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He is the God who sees beyond the borders of Israel all the way down to this tiny, unwed teenage mother. And why does God love tiny, unwed teenage mothers? Because Jesus was born to one. He looks and he sees even the ones that the world has forgotten the most. That is who God has his eyes on. Hagar is the first person in scripture to give God a name. Adam didn't do it. Noah didn't do it. 
Abraham doesn't do it. Hagar is the first one to give God a name, and she says, you are the God who sees. The most unlikely person to ever give God a name because she didn't grow up in church. She was an Egyptian. They had all kinds of gods with weird names. But she didn't grow up. She She wasn't in this covenant. She didn't talk to God like Abraham did. Yet she sees him and says, you are the God of seeing. You look after me. And isn't that what we're all really longing for? Where are you running to? What are you running from? Where are you going? Where are you coming from? We really just want to know that God sees us and that God knows us and that he notices us. Even the most introverted among us have the desire that we would be fully known and be fully loved. Uh, Keller says it better than anybody could, short of Jesus, I guess. Uh, He says this, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is well a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at us. To be known and loved is a lot like being loved by God. There's a story that floats around. I don't know if it's true or not. Doesn't matter, I guess. Um, of a pastor who is in Hawaii, and uh, he's from Pennsylvania. And so he has flown to Hawaii. He's got a little case of jet lag, can't really go to sleep. Uh, and so at around 3 o'clock in the morning or so, he walks and finds this diner, kind of the only place that's open, to get some food. And he's there, he's eating some food, and a group of prostitutes come in, um, working the night shift. They're coming in. Uh, and they're grabbing a bite to eat. And he overhears uh, one of the girls, kind of in the loud, boisterous uh, nature of the, of the diner at the time he describes, he hears one of the girls say that tomorrow is her birthday. Uh, and then all the other girls are like, so what? Do you, what do you want, like a party? Like, we don't do that. Uh, and she, the girl said, no, I just wanted you guys to know that tomorrow is my birthday. Uh, and so this pastor who overheard this is now talking to the cook who owns the diner, and he asks, hey, do they come in here every night? And the cook said, yeah, every night at 3.30. And he said, well, tomorrow I'd like to throw a birthday party for her. Um, like, I'll cover all the costs. I'll get the cake. And the cook says, well, I can make the cake. Uh, yeah, well, let's do it. Uh, and he tells his wife, the cook's wife, she, like, invites the, the, you know, a lot of the prostitutes in town to come uh, and be there at 3. So he shows up the next morning, and they're there. Or the next, yeah, the next morning at 3 in the morning. And, and they walk in the door. Everybody screams happy birthday. This girl is in tears. Uh, she's so delighted. Uh, she, uh, she has this cake. And the cook is like, hey, why don't you cut into that cake? And she said, do I have to? Um, I've never had a cake before. And she wanted to go show her mom. So she goes and shows her mom. Uh, and then she's like, but I promise I'll be back. And so that was just like a little awkward moment that there's nobody there for the birthday party. Um, and so uh, the pastor says, well, I would love to pray for her and for all of us. Uh, and so he prays a prayer. Uh, the girl walks back in. They're partying, and he's talking to the cook. And the cook said, hey, you didn't tell me that you were a preacher. Uh, what church do you go to? And he says, I go to the church that would throw a party at 3 a.m. for a bunch of hookers. He said, that's the church that I go to. And the cook responded, that church doesn't exist. Because if that church existed, I would go there. 
this story undoes us because Hagar's are messy. And because they're messy, we never want to, one, associate with them, or two, admit that we are them. And yet she says, you are the God who sees. There's uh, some commentators who believe that she actually runs into the pre-incarnate Jesus here. I don't know if it's true. I'm not smart enough to figure that out. I don't know if it matters. Because she's naming the Lord. And she says, you are the God who sees. And who is this God who sees? It's Jesus who sees us. Who sees us even in our brokenness. The one who oversaw creation. That when everything was in chaos and void, began to speak. And trees showed up. And fish showed up. And birds showed up. And humans showed up. Uh, he's, he's the Jesus who told Noah, hey, go build a boat. Because it's about to get real wet down there. He's the Jesus who, when he walked in and was seen by John the Baptist, John the Baptist cried out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the Jesus who sits with a Samaritan woman at the well and shares with her before he shares with anybody else that he's the Messiah. And then she goes and converts her whole town and says, Come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. That's the Jesus that Hagar is seeing. He's seeing the Jesus who walked up and touched a casket with a dead boy inside of it so that the widow at Nain would not have to live without her family. He's the Jesus who walked to a little girl and said, Talithi Umi, little girl, rise up. For she wasn't dead, she was just asleep. That's the Jesus that Hagar is talking about here, who walks up to blind men, who walks up to crippled men and tells them to walk who protects a lady caught in adultery from the stones of judgment. That's the Jesus that Hagar sees here. And it's the Jesus who sees you. The Jesus who died on the cross to bring you to himself. The Jesus who rises from the dead three days later because death couldn't hold him. That's the Jesus uh, that Hagar sees, and it's the Jesus that sees you. The one who pours 200 proof grace directly into your heart and takes your heart of stone and turns it into a heart of flesh and says, come and follow me. That's the Jesus that Hagar sees. That's the Jesus that we see. It's the Jesus that sees us and it's the Jesus that we want. We want the Jesus who's willing to throw birthday parties for whores at 3.30 in the morning. That's the Jesus we want. We don't want the button up Jesus. He's boring. He looks like an accountant. Nobody cares about him. We want the Jesus who comes to us in our moments of deepest distress and deepest heartache and says, don't run away any further. Come with me and I will walk with you through this. I will go into those moments of your deepest shame like I did with Peter and I will set up breakfast and we'll eat and we'll work through this and I'll say to you, come and follow me. That's the Jesus that we long for. Friends, this morning... Where are you running from? And what are you running to? Let's do business in our hearts with that. Let's pray together. Father God, this morning uh, we come to you just undone by your mercy, uh, undone by your goodness to us, uh, that you would uh, be so kind uh, to come into our hearts uh, that wanted nothing to do with you and yet you bring them into submission to yourself and say, come and follow me. 
uh, that your kindness leads us to repentance, that your kindness leads us uh, to want to follow you, uh, that our lives look differently because of it. Uh, so Jesus, as we, as we do business with our own hearts, as we, as we look and see where we're running from, uh, as we see what we're running to, uh, may whatever it be, be replaced by you, that we would run to you with arms wide and heart abandoned, uh, knowing that it is you who has uh, loved us uh, before we could ever love you. And it's in your name we do pray. Amen.